Hey, Changemaker. I'm Julia Wicklander, and I'm thrilled to have you back with us for another episode of the Hey, Changemaker podcast. Today, we have an exceptional guest who is on an unstoppable mission for peace. Joining us today is Jim Sella, the co-founder and executive director of Demilitarize Education. Over the past five years, she has been leading the charge in developing a comprehensive model for university demilitarization, a movement that couldn't be more timely. Ginsella's work includes the creation of a groundbreaking treaty and the world's first universities in arms database. This database is a game changer uncovering over one billion pounds worth of UK university partnerships with the military and defense sector. It is an essential transparency tool designed to empower students and with uh, evidence-based data, enabling them to hold their universities accountable for their involvement in activities that fuel conflict and war. But Ginsella's mission goes beyond just data. She is a passionate advocate for global peace. And as the talk show host of Dead Talks on Instagram, she has welcomed over a hundred modern day peacemakers to the platform. From Stella Assange to LaRue and Frank Barat, these conversations have reached over 17,000 people across social media. Today, we delve deep into Ginsella's journey, the critical work of demilitarized education, and the global fight for peace through education. We also talk about our own personal journeys, about how peace starts from within. And Ginsella has such beautiful insights that can really help us believe that peace is possible. Hi, Ginsella. It is such a pleasure to have you here on the Hey Changemaker podcast. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a real honor. Fantastic. And the HH Maker podcast, as I was just saying to you, is really about people's personal journeys and, and what brings them to dedicate so much of their time and their life to creating a positive change for others. And um, I would love for you to share a story from your life um, of when you just knew that you had to do something more to be a part of bringing peace to the world? Sure. Well, my story was quite a dramatic shift. So it's a good one to share because I studied fashion marketing, of all things. Um, and I was on my year in industry out of university, working for the hemp trading company. And they told me that London hosts one of the world's biggest arms fairs every other year and it was happening this month and I thought what mm. we have an arms fair in London and it's one of the world's biggest I was honestly shocked so I went to this protest and what I saw was grandmas lying in the road trying to block the road while weapons of war were being brought in to be sold mm. and the police were arresting these old women while allowing weapons of war to be brought into the excel center in london to be sold and that year in 2017 they sold to over 18 countries they licensed export licenses for arms to 18 countries on our own human rights watch list mm. 
So I really, at that point, had my eyes open to the level of corruption in the world. And I'm a country girl and I've always been very connected with nature and I could see how our current systems were deeply affecting our ecosystems and how much opportunity we were missing to improve those systems. Mm. Um, but when I then saw that we were selling weapons to war criminals, I thought, damn, well, they're definitely not taking any of our needs to help the environment seriously because they're so openly um, giving weapons of violence to people that they know will use them violently. So at that point, I went back to my university and I found out that universities also partner with the arms trade. And this was really just a, another huge shock to me. I had no idea that our education systems had any kind of partnerships with weapons manufacturers. Um, yeah. And the more I looked into it, the more... I realized how deeply connected and entrenched our education system, higher education specifically, is with mm. uh, the military. And I also experienced firsthand how hard it was for students to build campaigns around this. And there have been campaigns happening for decades. However, with students graduating and the lack of resources enabling those students to hand that campaign on to the next generation of students meant that it was this kind of cycle of repetition mm. um, where students were just having to start again, even though loads and loads of work was being done. And I just thought, right, well, here is a need. We need a central resource that can actually track student actions taken um, to kick the arms trade in the military off of higher education campuses mm. and also track the value of these partnerships so that we can build strong national campaigns rather than being, you know, separate campus campaigns, all asking for the same thing over and over again. And here we are five years later, my fashion degree turned into a job working against the arms trade <laughs> yeah life is funny like that i mean it's it's insane so you have mentioned so many things already you know the linkages between climate change and the arms trade um and also how universities are involved and i would love for you to dig deeper into all of that but let's start off um perhaps with um you know the uk universities that you're looking at and their links to the arms trade or military spending. Can you share an example of what that actually looks like? Sure. Um, so I encourage everybody listening to head over to ded1.co um, right now as you're listening, because you can search with me. Um, and what we have created is the world's first university and arms database. And you will see at the top of our website, there is a figure right now, not sure when you're listening, it might be different, but right now it is at over 1.3 billion pounds worth of UK partnerships with the military and defense sector. Now, what this means is partnerships are made up of three types. 
we have our research partnerships. So this is when an arms company um, will pay a department or faculty to build arms orientated research. Mm. Then we have academic partnerships. So this is when an arms company will pay a department or faculty at a university um, to have consultancy from that department or promote careers with that said arms company. Mm. And then we have the financial partnership, which is when a university will use their profits, which mostly comes from student fees, to buy shares in arms companies, so to profit from that. And as we all know, when the world is at war, arms companies' profits skyrocket. Mm. So these are the three partnerships we're tracking. Um, right now on our database, the um, highest university we have is Bristol. And that is up in the let me just make sure I'm telling you exactly correct. Yeah, 72 million pounds worth of these partnerships. And of course, the 1.3 billion, even the 72 billion, at, sorry, million at Bristol is a gross misuse of resources. Mm. That money, that time, that capacity of higher educational space should be going towards research which actually contributes to making the world a better place a more yeah. peaceful place a more sustainable place yeah it's a, yeah it's it's absolutely shocking and i and so with all of this understanding you started demilitarized education as an organization and this platform has been built how is sort of this organization run how do you sustain it and and who's involved so we have an amazing team and community um shout out to melina who i founded um demilitarized education with um we worked very hard so i'll run you for it because there needs to be a lot more um non-profit organizations running and successful so that we can actually work to build new systems mm. and tackle the problems our current systems drive forward. Um, so the first year we literally just spent networking. We talked to absolutely everyone we could in the peace and um, disarmament space and we built strategic alliances with, with each of them. What this did, it, it enabled us to understand what was already being done enabled us to learn mm. um, and also have support. In the meantime, we were very busy creating clarity around our mission. And in the nonprofit world, a lot of what we have to do is funded by grants. Yeah. And you are not going to get a grant <laughs> if you do not make your articulation of the objectives super clear. You know, you might have a hundred ideas which will make up to this amazing thing, but they only want to know about one. Mm. And you need to work very hard to chisel it down. I say chisel it down because there's this really nice quote. It's like business isn't like painting where you cover stuff up. It's like sculpting. You chip away at it until you have the right shape. And that is what you need to do because even beyond the funders, the public 
they're only allowed to able to understand one clear message at a time mm -hmm. so you need to be very very clear and consistent with what that is and that takes a lot of time to you know sculpt an idea an objective to that stage mm -hmm. so that is what we did from there we continued on the fundraising fundra grant um finding hunt and we are now five years on we have two um full-time members myself and carmen who's our incredible operations manager and we have a team of four four plus freelancers we have the amazing cindy who's our campaigns manager we have a database manager millie um, and we have a co-pr research officer um, and together we work very very hard on very very low capacity um, mm -hmm. to create the organization and community you see today but yeah, I definitely, if I was going to say like two words to anyone setting up a nonprofit, clarity and consistency. Yeah. Oh yeah. I double, double that. So, I mean, it's, it's a strange journey, as you just said, you know, you have a fashion degree and then you've started this organization. When you look back at that journey, um, what, yeah, what, what, what? Do you think like what do you feel like this is the place where you're supposed to be or do you still feel like there are pieces of, of creativity missing or um yeah how do you feel about about that journey and that shift yes yeah, it's, it's kind of wild um but no i i feel that i'm exactly where i need to be and I'm very much someone that goes by my gut and I followed my gut and that has led me to a place where I feel really empowered to be working for a purpose. Mm. And I feel very passionately about other people finding a need in society, which they can help to solve because having purpose is like having a deep, the deep roots of a tree it enables you to stand strong and it enables you to be confident in a way that you are unwaverable in a storm and that's something i think especially in this time where there's so much frustration and so much um dissatisfaction in our society that is something that can really ground you and help guide you mm. so i feel blessed that I followed my gut and I went through a very hard journey you know what I've just described is like no it was very 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 challenging on you know mental spiritual financial everything you know but I stayed consistent and now I'm at a steady place with it and mm -hmm. what's even more like exciting and beautiful for me at the moment which is quite fresh in the past couple of months is the fact that after five years of just focusing my mind on one issue demilitarizing education and convincing myself and layering up my kind of intellectual animation i've got to a place now where my roots are so deep it's like my spirit has now been able to take over Mm -hmm. And I'm no longer kind of 
wading around in the critical analysis of multiple military situations and la da la da la and the complexities mm. of the issue but i can stand strong in my values yeah. which is that education should not be infiltrated or be used in any way to advance the war machine and it should be instead used to advance peace mm. and that is a beautiful place to be in yeah oh i hear you and i think it's such a good re reminder to to move into that place of purpose and and center yourself around that because that is when you know those those roots really grow deep and i i I really appreciate that, um, you sharing that. Um, so what does it mean? You speak a lot about being a modern day peacemaker. What does that mean? How can one be one today? Yeah, I guess that feeds back into your previous question as well. And about, you know, people often ask me, oh, do you, do you use your fashion degree in what you do? And, you know, that is a part of me and I'm very fearless in bringing that level of myself to what we're doing, you know, and that gives it a unique edge and that helps it to reach other people. Mm. So yes, I use my fashion degree the whole time, you know, like m most importantly, I look good <laughs> every time. Yeah. <laughs> and that is my fashion degree. That is my passion. Mm. And I've brought that with me. And that is something that everyone should do. Um, and that's what it means to be, in my case, to be a modern day peacemaker. It's doing it your way. You know, peace has been given a bad brand of like hippies in the 60s smoking weed and mm. like not you know, with anti-war signs, right? And that isn't relatable to, you know, a lot of people today. Mm -hmm. And becoming and stepping into your own as a modern day peacemaker is simply being unapologetically yourself mm -hmm. while working towards the universal principle of peace, something that you know we all collectively want and need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And you have done that in, in several ways through, through demilitarized education and through the protesting and through your activism in many forms. And one of them is through the, the dead talks. What are they? And um, because you've had more than 100 episodes and I've had the pleasure of joining in on one. Um, can you share a little bit more about um, why you started them and, and what they're about? Absolutely. Yes, everybody go check out Julia's episode because it was it was a moment in time with Sweden joining NATO and like there was that whole discussion around it, which really did timestamp that moment. So it's a really good one and brought so much hope. Um, it was a very inspiring episode. Um, but yeah, I I started Dead Talks because the whole again, it's this kind of it's the smokes and mirrors that our government puts up to make us believe that we don't have a voice that is worthy of joining the discussion table. And I know after five years of research that that is what they want. That is strategic. Mm -hmm. They are paying 
they have paid over 45 million pounds since 2012 promoting military ethos in schools so that when we have that feeling like oh i feel like militarism isn't actually making us more secure we doubt ourselves mm. and what dead talks is about is deformalizing that space and just you know inviting people don't get me wrong all our guests are experts or like have experienced something relevant to the global fight for peace however you don't have to come in with a be a doctor you don't have to um have the you know a suit and tie on or whatever it is it's it's an informal space for you to chat freely about your ideas your mm. understanding or experience of the issues that surround the global fight for peace um and it's been a beautiful thing honestly like I, I, the what when i started it a few years ago i was i did not want to do it actually mm. i knew there was a need and i knew that I love talking to people, but I was just not really on social media at the time. And, you know, I'm a bit of a hippie, so I was trying to just not be on social media, you know, mm. but I've got over that. And since then, you know, the 100th episode was such an incredible landmark for that. And mm. there in that episode, there was someone from Nigeria, Ghana, um, Switzerland, uh, India, it was amazing. And we all got on one call, America, we all got on one call when we did like a swap in and suddenly all these peacemakers from around the world were chatting and like discussing their relevance. And it has really brought together a lot of people. And for me as the host, like it's just given me so much confidence mm. in what we're all doing and it's like, you doubt that world peace is even possible. And then you listen to all these different people that are breaking down the analysis of the situation and coming up with new solutions and you piece them all together and you're like, hang on, it's more than possible. You know, mm -hmm. like so much is possible and so much is being done. And we yeah. all believe the same thing. We're all working towards that shared Northern star world peace. And suddenly it's not crazy anymore and you don't feel naive even saying, oh yeah, world peace is possible. Most people laugh when you say that, mm. but you're like, yeah. no, actually, like that's that's a very, very serious comment. And I, I was joined by someone that was there when the World Peace Foundation, Bridget, Bridget Connolly, um, she was there when the World Peace Foundation was created and she said to me, this was probably two months ago, she said, yeah. And at that point, everyone believed that world peace was possible still. And I was like, mm. wow, I can't believe you just said that because that's exactly how I feel right now. Like I'm starting to actually believe that it is possible. And then you hear that 20 years ago, people did believe it was possible. And yeah. once again, it's a step closer to having the confidence to actually do something about what your gut is telling you to rather than listening to the smokes and mirrors that our oppressive states have put in front of us. Mm. 
oh, what can happen when you actually step out of or into uncomfort and do something beyond sort of your space of comfort. And it's amazing what you've created. And, and those conversations are incredibly inspiring. I really recommend everyone to go and check them out because they're also very diverse. And, and I think there's so much to learn. And I, I really appreciate what you're saying because it's sort of the same thing I feel about this podcast, right? It's It gives me so much to have these conversations. And um, I really hope that it gives other people, everyone who's listening, the same, same thing. Um, because hearing somebody's personal story, um, especially, you know, when it is... Um, you know, not straightforward, you you know, and I think with your story, it's something that, you know, it's unplanned and you step into your purpose and it leads you to, to spaces that you didn't even know were possible. And, um, and it brings you so much hope and it gives hope to other people through the work that you're doing. And that's really, you know, hope is sort of that cornerstone for any form of activism. What an important conversation this is. I started this podcast to gain more hope because hope is the one thing that's essential for us to inspire others and ourselves to make a positive change in the world. And the one thing that I always come back to when it comes to generating hope and building infectious movements of change is storytelling. Storytelling drives hope, storytelling inspires action, and it is a bedrock of movements of change. So I just wanted to pop in for a quick break to share something that could be of support for you. Digital Storytelling for Impact is a course I created to help activists, advocates, entrepreneurs, and changemakers alike to make a lasting impact in a digital world by strengthening your confidence, creating clarity in your purpose, and helping you build an engaged community in support of your important work for change. Your voice is powerful and it's time to use it effectively in our digital world. You can enroll in this online course today at learn.girlsglobe.org. We've had close to 200 participants take the course in the past two years. Here is what Sebabatsu from South Africa said about the course. I loved this course from start to finish. I wanted to tell my story to inspire healing, and this course made it possible. Digital Storytelling for Impact is a one-week online course with bonuses and resources to help you on your digital storytelling journey. Take this opportunity to learn how to use storytelling to inspire hope and make a huge difference in support of your work and in support of the positive change that the world needs. Go to learn.girlsglobe.org to learn more and enroll. Um, so I, I really appreciate your what you were saying and I can skip through the questions I had about what brings you hope and uh, and if you still if you believe peace is possible because you've already answered those but um, do you want to share something else beyond these conversations? Um, are there any sort of changes that you're seeing or shifts that you're seeing that that bring you hope to believe that peace is possible? What I would like to start with is something that the one and only Queen Bee platformed in her Renaissance tour, which was the Einstein quote imagination is more important than knowledge when i mm. saw that 
um during her live show i almost fell to the floor because i've just started a new youtube live stream um all about willing world peace and radical imagination for peace and mm. you know you hear it a lot kind of in the self-help areas as well like about setting goals that are beyond your current capacity you yeah. know and actually stretching your imagination into the delusional and i really really encourage everyone to do that you know think about world peace imagine mm. it hope for it pray for it and in doing that you are actually putting that as an important value in your mind which then makes you aware of opportunities to work towards it you know in the same way that a mother will automatically put a child or their child at the top of their value list right and they'll start seeing random toys which they wouldn't have noticed before right mm. it it works in exactly the same way so please come to my live streams if you want to um do it like a guided radical imagination for peace um but remove the doubt do it's obviously a practice it takes time i've had five years of experts telling me and convincing me that world peace is possible right and that's a mm. unique experience but i now want to share that all with you and if you know you have um any hope uh, any kind of gut feeling that more could be done to achieve world peace and reduce the systems of violence then that is because it can and you should follow that mm -hmm. and you can literally start by asking for world peace every day and mm -hmm. building up the space in your mind to imagine it and slowly reduce the doubt support organizations like ours and the other people that you know, uh, on Julia's podcast or on Dead Talks and all these people that are at the forefront of the global transformation we are experiencing. Um, yeah, the other thing would be um, we, there has been a huge shift. When I say the global transformation we are experiencing, like the pandemic shook people. It took people back to nature. It took people online, right? And in that, there has been a spiritual shift. Mm. One which can only be seen through the cracks in our current system. The cracks we are now seeing, the distrust of the current systems that we all know is the opportunity gives the opportunity for new light to shine through. And I say this with confidence because so many people have reached out to us recently and say, oh, it's, it's now my time to give back. You know, this is the kind of language they're using um, because they're suddenly feeling like they have an importance and they are important in the global fight for mm. peace. And they want to give back. They want to be a part of the change. They can feel the change happening. They don't trust the current system and now they have to do something about that. And, you know, we, we, we see that because we work with volunteers and members who are coming to us with this kind of rhetoric. Mm. Um, so I'm just sharing that with you. So, you know, that you are not alone 
and you should act on that feeling you know no action is unimpactful every little help every little helps as tesco's would say <laughs> mm. oh i love that and i think it's so true you know what we have in our consciousness really does define our lives and and what we imagine is is what we can see right so you know those um yeah i i really appreciate that reminder um and i'm definitely going to check out your new youtube series as well um so how do you care for yourself? Because despite, I mean, it sounds like you have perhaps a, a spiritual practice and, and, you know, in touch with nature and so on. But um, I mean, a lot of the things that you're working with is really tough. And there are, you know, things happening all the time um, in terms of, you know, household names that are really invested and investing in the arms trade. Um, and a lot of war and conflict happening as we speak around the world, um, really devastating events. Um, so how do you, how do you care for yourself in all of that? Mm. Hug trees. <laughs> I honestly hug trees every day and that the energy and the like wisdom that is held within our forests is something that really brings clarity into my life and slows me down um and that comes with something that i've had to learn and comes back to what we were saying earlier about crafting you know sculpting your mission and your objectives which is don't don't try and answer all questions um stick to your mission stick to your purpose you don't need to know everything and you know for example at demilitarized education people will try and ask us about ukraine and russia the whole time and mm. we just have to very clearly explain that is reactionary and we're dealing with a radical problem solving we're looking mm. at the root you're talking about a reaction to a problem and that kind of saves us a lot of the time from getting involved in very, very polarized discussions, which can dampen your spirit, you know, make you feel unsupported, make you feel like you're not having an impact. Yeah. So know what you're talking about and stick with that. You don't need to be the expert on everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm a big believer in mind, body and soul. I'm, I go to the gym every morning. I go to the sauna every morning. Mm. I eat vegan, right? I in in eating right and in exercising, you nourish your temple, your body. Mm. That no, the knock-on effect of that is you have a clearer mind, you're healthier, yeah. and when you have a clearer mind, you are able to then make space to not only work towards your goals but mm. to be happy and, you know, yeah. whether it's your spiritual journey, whether it's your family, what, whatever it is that makes you mm. happy, you then have mm. the space. So I really, really believe in that mind, body and soul balance. I, 
I'm I'm really strict with going to the gym every day because that just sets me off right yeah. and big ups the global gym rats. Mm. <laughs> Well, you're inspiring me to get back into routines now after the summer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, it sounds amazing. And um, I know that there's so much to talk about, but I think for someone who's new to this, who has perhaps felt that, you know, the global arms trade and war and, you know, nuclear disarmament or whatever it could be, all of these things are just too big um to understand and too daunting to think about um what would you say like are there a few sort of insights that you would want to bring to people's awareness um in terms of of understanding um this the arm you know this whole um uh, whole market uh, that that exists um sure um i'll just start by saying the the phrase that we all know which is it's a small world we've all had random coincidences which has linked us from other parts of the world and when we think about you know even trying to live a happy life with mm. micro intentions aka just personal gain, you will never have be able to grow roots as deep as someone that is understanding their personal gains that they want within the macro picture, right? Mm. Um, and when you start to bring the macro picture into your intentions, you know, that's a really, really powerful step. And it's something that you are connected to, you know, we live in a closed environment. Um, and I was speaking to um, someone called Donya and Vahid on Thursday on Dead Talks. Vahid just did a 72 day hunger strike outside Westminster in the UK, um, mm. asking the UK government to put uh, this Islam, um, Iranian terrorist group on the terrorist list. And he said, you know, 20 years ago, um, or 30 years ago, sorry, when the Islam, um, Iranian regime came into power, they didn't think that they would have to flee the country and they would be fighting terrorism and your freedoms can fly away that quickly. And the arms trade is something which corrupts our democracy at a crazy rate. And I can point you towards corruption tracker and shadow world investigations that look at this specifically and our video series, seven myths that sustain the global arms trade, which you can find yes. on education, YouTube. Um, but honestly, it's all about this kind of circle of knowledge and sorry i'm flying around with the different places to go but i can the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons put out an amazing report which i think visualizes the relationship between public spending in the arms trade and it basically is a circle and the government will pay arms companies for arms contracts the arms contractors 
will then pay think tanks to build research so to make that spending of public funds look really good and then that think tank will pay lobbyists to persuade the government to continue on that cycle of spending mm. <laughs> you know they call it the military industrial complex because of how close our arms companies are working with government they're i've forgotten exactly but we call it the revolving door where x politicians will get jobs at arms companies and then arms company directors will get jobs in government and as a consultants and advisors and it's a really mm. close knit and understanding that is really really important when we're faced with the issue of oh but we need the military to keep us safe mm. Let's not forget that in the American Constitution, it states that there should not be standing armies because standing armies are bad for democracy. Mm. We should only build militaries and have militaries when there is a security need at hand. And right now our militaries are being used for quasi-imperialism, modern day imperialism, um, so that we can get influence and power in, you know, oil, oil rich countries and so on. Mm. And, you know, our, in England, our defense policy is called global Britain. Okay. Mm. Let that be an indicator of the kind of lies that surround the arms trade. Right. And make the public the general public think this is an important part of our culture and security when in reality it's making arms companies very rich it's keeping uh, making a lot of politi politicians very rich and really they're not as strong as we think they are this is something andrew feinstein often says um he worked with Ma nelson mandela and is is one of the global leading experts on arms trade corruption. Mm. He always reminds us that they are a lot weaker than we think. They are built and standing on the pillar of our democracy and our public wealth. However, mm. they put a lot of very clever investment into building the myths that make us think that the arms trade is a part of keeping us safe when that is a lie. Mm. So first thing, in your journey is believing change is possible again myself and julia we work we talk with change makers all around the world we know how much is being done and being done successfully there are alternative solutions and this is not normal war is not the opposite of peace it is one method of dealing with conflict and a very very expensive one a mm. very very destructive one for people and planet and there are far better conflict resolution alternatives which are not getting trillions of dollars of investment every year and if they did well peace might stand a chance mm. ah so well said and i think you know as we were speaking about as well on on um uh, dead talks you know just as Sweden was was joining and had these negotiations with NATO and 
the linkages there with Saab, the previously automobile company, but has been selling um, weapons and, you know, fighter jets and, um, uh, yeah, uh, lots of different things to the arms, global arms trade. Their, you know, shares um, have gone up so much. So, I mean, the linkages there, it's, you can just go and see, you know, um, it's very, very clear how there is a very strong link to money and making a profit off of of war in different parts of the world. Um, so yeah, and I, and I really, really appreciate the YouTube videos that you've made about the myths um, as well. Um, very clear and, and great resource as well. So I'll make sure to link those. Um, and as well as the ICANN uh, research uh, paper that you mentioned as well. Uh, we'll make sure to link those. Um, Gensela, thank you so much for the important work that you do. Um, do you have any, you've had so much wisdom to share with us um, and really grounding us in, in our purpose and rooting us with, you know, a, a strong consciousness. Um, do you have anything more to share before we uh, conclude this conversation? I'd just say that if you want peace, then do something about it. Peace starts with yourself. So make sure that you are actively working to feel at peace because you are then radiating an energy of peace. And by doing that, you are making the world a better place by just by sitting where you are and being at peace. And that energy can help other people to be at peace too. And together, we start to understand, oh, we all want peace. And we are the hands of the creator. We are the makers and shapers of our society. And that is what we must do. Um, the system we see today was built by man and we can build a better one. And Again, Julie and I are lucky enough to work very closely to the people that are doing this. So come join us, y'all. Yay, yes, join us. Thank you so much, Gensela. Thank you for the important work that you're doing and links will be shared and um, so much wisdom has been shared. I appreciate you and, and the important work that you do. Thank you so much for being a light in this world. Thank you so much for being a light too. I really want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to Ginsella for sharing her passion, her insights, and the vital work of demilitarized education with us today. Her dedication to peace is truly inspiring, and it's so beautiful to see how we can begin with ourselves to really believe that peace is possible. If you've been moved by Gensella's mission and want to learn more about demilitarized education, you can follow them on Instagram at dead underscore education. That is D-E-D underscore education. Stay updated on their impactful work and join the conversation. And for those of you who want to dive deeper into the world of, of dead and really understand the tools that they're building, make sure to visit their website at ded1.co. There you'll find a wealth of information and resources to get involved and support their effort to de demilitarize education.
Before we sign off, I want to remind you that the Hey Changemaker community thrives on your involvement. You can access all of our episodes, share your thoughts, comments, nominate a guest you'd love to hear from, and subscribe to our podcast by visiting girlsglobe.org changemaker. Your active participation adds depth to our conversations. So please don't hesitate to visit girlsglobe.org changemaker and become a part of the dialogue. Share this episode with your friends, family, and fellow changemakers who are passionate about peace and education. Thank you for being a part of the Hey Changemaker community. Remember that change starts with me, change starts with you, and together we can make a profound impact on the world. Until next time, keep making a difference, keep inspiring, and keep changing the world. See you next week, Changemaker. Changemaker.